morning. Good morning, morning. How are you all doing? That extra hour is a killer, isn't it? Hey? It is a killer. Okay, well, I uh, just want to pass on uh, my good morning to you all. Uh, my name is Adam, as Martin said, and one of the team here. And um, I'm talking uh, today. Uh, uh, Robin, could we just lower these lights a little bit? Is that all right? I'm talking today uh, about passivity. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to... Um, uh, this has been quite a challenging talk to prepare, uh, mainly because... Nowhere in the Bible would I say it clearly says anything about passivity. I was explaining this to my wife, and she said to me, well, whose idea was it to talk about passivity? I like, that's a good question. It was mine. <laughs> I shot myself in the foot a little bit. Um, it's not like some of the other kind of qualities that we've looked in this series. Humility, purity, integrity. There's real clarity about those, both in Jesus' teaching uh, and in the wider teaching in the Bible. Another challenge is with this talk is that passivity itself can be represented and presented in different ways. So when I've talked to people, when people said to me, oh, what are you preaching on? And I've said, oh, I'm preaching on passivity. They said, oh, you're going to preach on the sluggard. And I said, no, I'm not going to preach on the sluggard. The, the natural assumption is that passivity means laziness. And the truth is then if we come with that kind of thought process, then, well, anyone here who doesn't think they're lazy, you're thinking, well, this doesn't apply to me. The reality is that laziness can be part of passivity, but it can be a lot more subtle than that, especially in our culture. So to deliver that and convey that in a way which is building up, encouraging, brings its own challenges. It needs to start when we're doing this talk about what do we mean by passivity. Well, for the purposes of this talk, I've got it as this. It's the acceptance of a situation without an active response or resistance. That's what I'm talking about today. The acceptance of a situation without an active response or resistance. So how are we going to approach it? Well, while the Bible doesn't implicitly talk about passivity, it does encourage a way of thinking, a mindset. I'm going to use this word mindset, which really just means a way of thinking. A way of thinking which is in direct conflict with many aspects of passivity. This is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at three mindsets, three ways of thinking, which come from a guy called Paul, who's talking to a guy called Timothy. Paul was, this, uh, was, was his kind of mentor, uh, uh, Timothy, his protege. Um, and we're going to look at these three mindsets in the way that Paul does this. And he, does, and he uses these three mindsets to encourage uh, Timothy to, uh, and help him and adopt and invest in him in his ministry, which is to lead churches. So that is the context to which this, this man, Timoth- uh, Paul, is talking to Timothy. And the three mindsets that he says, that he talks to Timothy about, is having the mindset of a soldier, the mindset of an athlete, and the mindset of a farmer. I don't know about you, but even the thought of those three roles, kind of, I'm tired already, you know? So this, this is what Paul's encouraging us. And we're going to look at this verse. So it says in 2 Timothy, this is the verse we're unpacking. It says, you then, my child, this is Paul to Timothy, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men 
who will be able to teach others also. And here we go, he says. Sharing the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Okay, so Paul starts off talking to this guy, Timothy. And the first mindset, the first way of thinking that he's, that he's encouraging Timothy to adopt in his ministry of building churches is that of a soldier going to war. And in particular, what he's saying is it's a share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So what Paul's saying is, Timothy, you've got to expect suffering. You've got to expect it. Sometimes we get teaching who says we shouldn't expect it. And Paul's saying here, yeah, we should. He said, prepare your mind for this. Elsewhere in the Bible, suffering is quite holistic. It could include a lot of things. What is Paul talking about here? Well, he's talking about physical suffering in the same way that a soldier may encounter physical suffering. He's talking about hardships, the hardship of being a soldier, the day-to-day routines of being a soldier. And he's talking about fear, the fear that soldiers encounter. The context is so important. Paul is encouraging Timothy in his role uh, building churches, leading churches. And he's saying, look, you're going to face suffering. You're going to face hardships. And you're going to face fear. You're going to face it. And you've got to have the mindset of a soldier, not a civilian. You see, the civilian in a time of war, the civilian doesn't expect it. It might be on the horizon somewhere, but he doesn't expect it. The civilian doesn't because the civilian is protected by the soldiers. So we can have two mindsets. We can have that of a civilian, one which doesn't expect or anticipate any kind of suffering, hardships, physical suffering and fear, or we can have that of a soldier. See, one of these forms of suffering I want to focus on this morning, I haven't got time to unpick all of them, but the one, I want to, the one I'd like to unpick this morning is all about this concept of fear. See, Paul elsewhere, in fact, earlier in the book of Timothy, says this. He says, he's talking to Timothy, he says, For he gave, us not a, he gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So it's actually almost contradictory. Paul's saying, expect fear. Expect, expect hardship, expect suffering. But then he's also saying, don't fear. How do, how do those two kind of work out? Well, they're not contradictory. See, Paul's using the example of a soldier not because they don't fear, but he uses the example of a soldier because when they face suffering, hardships, and fear, they don't get paralyzed by it. They don't let it rule them. Every soldier, every soldier faces fear. I've got this video clip, one of my favorite um, TV series. Anyone seen Band of Brothers? Band of Brothers, brilliant TV series. Looks at um, uh, soldiers who were in World War II, uh, and it kind of dramatizes it, but it does it to a backdrop of the actual kind of accounts of these soldiers as to what happened. 
And I've got one of these accounts of these soldiers, and he's talking about fear, and if, if hopefully we can play it. But the point I'm trying to make is, these soldiers, they all faced fear. Can we play it? Is that all right? We'll back. I never thought I'd get through D-Day, let alone the next phase or the next phase. I thought I was going to get killed instantly. I thought one of two things, a quick death uh, or I'd come through probably without a scratch. I think everybody had fear. I think uh, there's people that can handle fear. I think, uh, I think I was probably one of them. I think I was just as scared as anybody else except I could think. It's a feeling you, you would not let yourself down and you would not let your comrades or your unit down. We all had fear. But we all had training to know that uh, you try to handle your fear and, and work to accomplish what you're supposed to be doing. Isn't that powerful? They're guys who are there, and they're saying, we were all afraid. See, so that's what Paul's getting to here. When the Bible says, don't be afraid, it's saying, don't be paralyzed by it. Don't get passive through it. Soldiers, they act through that fear. And fear should be the same for us. It shouldn't overrule us. It shouldn't rule over us. It shouldn't paralyze us. It shouldn't make us passive. Because God would very much want us to be active. So what are some of those fears? I mean, there's loads of fears. I mean, I don't like clowns, you know? I don't. I don't really like clowns. I'm all right with spiders. I don't really like velvet. I don't know if I'm scared of velvet, but velvet does something to me that I just don't like. I'm not, it can be physical fears, but for the purposes of this talk, I just want to hone in on some of those other fears that I think we may face in the context of passivity. Sometimes it's the intangible ones, the fear of responsibility. Can I follow through on a task that's been offered to me? A lack of faith in our own ability that we can perform a task to a suitable level. You know, you can work really, really hard, and that fear can grip you. That fear can, that fear can hold you captive sometimes. I can't do this. I can't, I can't do this. This fear of responsibility. About the fear of people's opinions. If I do that, what are they going to say? What are they going to think of me? I can't do that. If I do that, say that, or act like that, that person's going to say that. They're going to talk to that person. That person's going to find out. That can grip us. I've seen that grip people. I've seen it grip me. I'll talk about that in a minute. The fear of failure. Can't let people down. Can't. Can't let them down. Can't let people down. So... You don't want to, you're, you're so worried and fearful about letting people down that you don't take up some of the mantles that may be offered to you. These are some of the fears that can paralyze us, that can then produce passivity. A couple of stories from my own life. Um, <clears throat> I was refereeing about four weeks ago. It's a, it was a day I'm now trying to forget. Um, but I was refereeing this match. It didn't start well. Both of the captains came up to me, and they didn't like each other, so that's always good. The management team didn't like each other. So it was a lower division match, which they're usually a bit more 
trickier to manage. Um, so I'm refereeing this match, and I, I book a player at one point. They didn't like that. He starts mouthing off. And then I booked another player. He starts mouthing off. And this whole game is it's all quite verbal. And, but we're all right at the moment. And then this situation happened where the striker is running through on goal. And these two defenders, they call themselves defenders, <laughs> these two bodies, um, charged down this striker who was through on goal. And one of them wiped him out. Now, letter of the law is you red card that player. It's a goal-scoring opportunity. Problem is, these two players crossed, these two defenders crossed at the perfect kind of time with the sun just in the right place. And I couldn't work out which one it was. So I'm standing in the middle of this game, which is already getting quite verbal, thinking I've got to, I need to send one of these players off. I don't know which of these players it is. And all of a sudden, I was thinking, they're going to hate me. <laughs> I mean, you always hate the ref. I mean, I knew that from playing football. But they're going to hate me. All the teams at the end of a game rate the ref as well, which I find thoroughly and unhelpful, if I'm perfectly honest. So I'm like, oh, they're going to... In the, all this is going in my mind. They're going to send in a really negative report. And then, and then the management team, I'm going to think, so I could go and ask the linesman. Yeah, but then I don't look like I know what I'm doing. So do you know what I did? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I did nothing. I didn't even book him. You know? It was, it was passive. And what was the root of it? I was worried what they were thinking. You know? This was four weeks ago. You know? It, it got worse. Because the, the, defend, the other team then was saying to me, Ref, ref, what? He's got to go, pointing to one of the players. I'm like, well, I think it's that guy, but I'm not sure. I can't send the wrong player off. I'm like, no. I said, look, no, it's fine. It's a free kick. And I made something up, so now I'm lying, all right? So this is, I was like, no, he wasn't through on goal. They're coming at the side. He's got the ball's going off to the side. And it's all, you know, I had to repent of it all. Um, and, and the player turns around, he says to me, ah, oh, he says, you're a joke. So he says to me, he says, you bowled it, you bowled it. So now I have to pull this player up, book him, give him his £20 fine because I've been passive in my, in my decision-making. You know? All came through a fear. All came through a fear of their opinions. I didn't even know them. I went off that game thinking, that was a horrific game. I won't do that again. But I went away thinking, next time that happens, I've got to push through that. I've got to. And I will. But that's where passivity can come in sometimes, that fear of people's opinions. Another one, I remember, fear of, responsibility, uh, fear of letting people down and fear of responsibility. I mean, they're quite close together. I was having a conversation. This is about eight years, six years ago, six years ago. And I was having a... At the time, I was uh, in, uh, a kind of assistant head in a school and I was talking to a deputy head of another school. She said to me, oh, you're going to apply for a headship soon. I said, yeah, I think so. I said, I think there's, there's, a, there's a job I'm going to apply for. I said to her, now she, this is the important thing, she was far better than me, you know, in everything, you know. She was, she was just a brilliant manager. She knew everything about everything. She was a really, she was a truly remarkable leader, this, this woman. I hold her in the highest regard. And I said, yeah, I'm going to apply for this job. I'm going to apply for this headship. I said to her, because we talked a number of times before, I said, are you going to apply? She went, oh, no, I can't apply yet. I said, oh, why, can't, why are you not going to apply? Thinking that it might be family reasons or things like that. She said, no, 
She said, I, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not ready. I'm gonna let, I know I'll let people down. I was like, oh my goodness. I saw the giftings in this woman. I'd seen that some of the heads as well and knew what an amazing job she would do. But she started talking. I, I, let, I don't want to let the kids down. I don't want to let the parents down. And that fear of failure, that fear of getting it wrong. She, she didn't apply for a headship. Probably she did two years later. But she was far further on the journey than I was. But it was that fear of failure that kind of gripped her. It really did. Because she was, she would have been a brilliant, and she is a brilliant head teacher now, I know now. So there's this couple of those examples where fear can lead to passivity in, in terms of that active response. This is what Paul's reinforced into Timothy. So the question is, does fear produce passivity in you? And if so, in what situations? Because if the answer to that is yes, like it is to, with me, um, then Paul's encouragement to us is, is to have the mindset of a soldier. So how do we do that? Well, here's just some quick kind of practical tips that might help. Reminding ourselves that God is sovereign is really helpful. You know? God is sovereign. Like, we can get things wrong, and that's all right. You know? Well, I love the verse, well, God works all things for good for those that love Christ Jesus. He works them for good. It's remain in Jesus, faithful, truthful. You know, work it for good. It doesn't mean things won't go wrong. They, they will, they do. But he'll work it for good. He'll work it for good. Because that's what he does. That's what he does because he loves us. That's what he does because he wants to see his kingdom extended. That's what he does because he wants Jesus glorified. That's why he does it. We can take comfort in our God being sovereign. Recognizing that we will encounter fear and identify it when we do so that we can overrule it. The next time I referee a football match and there's a red card, that player's going off and he's getting his 35 pound fine. You know, and I'm going to walk off that pitch and I'm going to be really happy with myself. You know, because I'll have stepped into, out of that paralysis that I was in. Here's a good one. How many of you here are responsible for people in a work situation? How many of you here? Okay, well, I'm definitely talking to you, and the rest of you, you may be. Help create environments where people can fail spectacularly. And it's all right. It's all right. You know, I've made some catastrophic errors in my, te- in my teaching career. I was playing football with the kids once. I shouldn't have been. It was year twos. And I, for some reason, I started playing like, like a full adult. And I kicked this ball and knocked this, knocked this girl over. This is in front of my mentor. It was a spectacular mistake. She pulled me over. She gave me a right good telling off. She said, just don't do that again. You know, and then literally minutes later... Warmth, you know, it, it was brilliant. It's a great example. And we have to be able, with the people that we are responsible for, to let them fail spectacularly and create an environment where we can build them back up again. They need to feel safe in the environments that we create. And if you are responsible for people, that's really, really important. It doesn't mean we're always nicey-nicey. No, I've got to tell them off, you know, for that kind of stuff. That's part of it. People need to know where they make their mistakes. That's really important. But we can do that in a way which says, I still I believe in you. It's bigger than that. Help create environments where people, where, 
this is, help create environments where when people take on responsibility, they are supported well. Given responsibility just to fulfill a job, if you're the person given that responsibility, is not a good way of giving responsibility. People need to feel like they're supported. And whatever that support looks like, it might be light touch support, it might be a more heavier support style. People have to be supported. Have to, they have to know they can, they can go to someone, that there is support there, that they are not alone. If people feel alone, it's a, it can create an environment where they actually they, people can, they're all right maybe for a little while, but long term they won't be, very often. To help create environments where we, when we give responsibility, that people are, uh, are supported really, really well. Now, how do you support people in, you know, in your workplaces? How do you do that? Yeah, really important questions, because if, if people haven't got that in place, then some of these things can be exasperated. So that's the mindset of a soldier. Great. Okay, second one. The athlete. The athlete's mindset. Paul says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul's second metaphor here, for which he's encouraging Timothy to have a similar mindset of, is that of an athlete. Now, the analogy here is extended to that of being crowned. It says being crowned. Uh, an athlete is not crowned unless he uh, competes according to the rules. The crowning probably alludes to... Paul is probably talking to, uh, with regards to the athletes here in the Olympiad, uh, the kind of time when uh, Paul's writing this letter... Um, the crowning, the winners of the, the, the competitions in the, in the Olympiad would get like a green wreath. So he's talking about the athletes in his, in his time. And what is interesting here is that Paul adds further information by saying to Timothy that this crown is not won unless the participant competes according to the rules. Now, this is ambiguous. And I've read a number of commentaries on this, and people think different things on this. So this is where I've kind of aligned myself with it. You may want to go away yourselves and look it up for yourselves, because there are different opinions on this, um, um, all of which I think are valid. Um, what he says, to, to participate in the Olympiad as an athlete, an athlete has to train. And specifically, in the 10 months prior, an athlete has to go through 10 months of training. Because athletes don't win any races unless they train and are self-controlled. And this is the quality that Paul, amongst other things, is highlighting here. Uh, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul uses this analogy of an athlete again, uh, which gives further kind of clarity, I think, to this verse. He says, Do you not know that in, in, that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. See, an athlete is not passive about his training or her training. And Paul wanted Timothy to have that same mindset in his own character and his own ministry. He wanted Paul to have an attitude of training and self-control and discipline in his ministry as a church leader um, in order to fulfill all that, God had want for, all that God would want for him. In particular, the, the aspects of training, self-control and discipline that Paul talks about to Timothy here and elsewhere, there's really three main focuses. Well, the first one is in overcoming sin. The second one is in cult cultivating a relationship with God. 
And the third one is in the, in the day-to-day context of his, of his role uh, as a church leader. And, um, and that's the same for us. Those same three things there, overcoming sin, cultivating a relationship with God, and our day-to-day calling, family, our own jobs, God would want us to be self-controlled and disciplined in like that of an athlete. That our training would, would be like that of an athlete. That our attitude, our mindset would be like that of an athlete. The difficulty is, in our culture, in our day and age, that, self, that there are a number of enemies, I would suggest, to self-discipline and training. The first of these, I would say, is technological distraction. Now, there, was, there, could, there, was a number of, there are a number of things we could say here, but I'm going to focus on two. So enemy number one, technological distraction. More so than in any other time in our ex- human existence, our world is geared up more and more to distract us. And one of the products of that distraction, especially in those three things that we've just looked at, is that it can lead to passivity. Julia Cameron uh, is a, uh, an artist, a director. Um, she says this. She says, technology teaches passivity. Absorbed in our devices at any age, we are absorbed in someone else's perspective. And she's talking about it from a creative point of view. But she's saying technology, it, it teaches passivity. It teaches us to get absorbed in someone else's business. Teaches us to be passive. Let me give you an example of how this may relate to us. Business Insider UK says this. It says that the typical mobile phone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day. Two th- average. The top 10% of mobile phone users. It's interesting that the whole room has just moved and shuffled in their seats. The top 10% of mobile phone users touch their phone 5,400 times a day. The average user spends 145 minutes on their phone per day. Who's got a... If you can hold the next one for a second. Who's got an Apple phone here? Who's got Apple? An iPhone? Okay, I'm talking to you here. Apple confirmed that the average device users unlock their phones 80 times per day. This is average. That's six or seven times per hour. It's distraction. Who's got Netflix? Anyone got Netflix? Let's go with Netflix. Netflix, total streaming time for 2015 stated that 42.5 billion hours of content were consumed. Each user, therefore, on average, watched 568 hours of content over the year, which is one hour, 33 minutes per day of content per year. If these facts are true, then the average person can be spending four hours a day on phones and Netflix, just on these two mediums. You can't tell me that doesn't come at a cost. Can't, you can't. I have an Apple phone and I have Netflix. I'm preaching to myself here. The distraction comes at a cost. And sometimes that cost is spending time with God, praying, reading our Bible, knowing God better. I make any apologies in saying that we should be doing that. Distract us from doing our job well, prioritizing our families, 
They distract us from being ruthless with sin and even sometimes actively lead us into sin. Distraction, one of the products of this distraction is passivity. In those three things, Paul's saying to Timothy, He's saying to Timothy, be like an athlete, self-control, discipline. And I guess my encouragement for us is the same, that we're like an athlete with some of these things. Enemy number two, our cultural message, our contradictory culture. See, the difficulty is that our culture has a very warped and contradictory view of discipline and self-control, which can sometimes bleed into our mindset as Christians. So, in one, one hand, our kind of Western culture actively discourages discipline and self-control, as one of the underlying messages in it is that it's, you know, it's repression, it's, you're being held back, it's limiting freedom. So you know, the cultural message can often be you know, self-control, discipline, training. Just, you know, why would you do that? It's about freedom. It's about all this kind of, it's about you being yourself. That's in one hand. And we, that comes into our mindset sometimes. Maybe I shouldn't be held back. Maybe I. The interesting thing is, in one hand, the culture can say that, and the next hand, they're lifting up and exalting Usain Bolt, Lionel Messi, Paula Radcliffe, Michael Phelps. The Olympics come around, and we worship these people, almost putting them on a pedestal. We often fail to recognise that the very thing that got these people to their fulfill their potential with self-controlled discipline and training. So on one hand, culture dismisses it, and the next hand, it's, it doesn't know what it wants. The key component for these guys here in there to realize their potential is self-control and discipline training. And one of the key components for us in our relationship with God, in our and how we deal with sin and how we work and, and, and with our families is that we are self-controlled and disciplined. And we see that as a good thing. You know, I remember an interview with Michael Phelps. He was talking, it was when he came back for it, he had, he had a spell out. I think, I think he's still the greatest Olympian, I think, Michael Phelps. He's got the most Olympic medals. I think it's still Michael Phelps. And I think he said, for five years, he trained 365 days of the year. And I remember him saying, for... He said, other, other, other Olympians, other swimmers were doing six days a week. And he said, I knew if I did seven, that I could be better. And he's, I think he's still the greatest Olympian in terms of medals. But that self-control, that discipline was a massive part of it. So for us, so having an athlete's mindset is about competing according to the rules. The rules, amongst others, of self-control and discipline. And I said, does distraction and this cultural message lead to passivity in our own lives with regards to some of these? I know it can for me. Some quick helpful tips if it does. Self-reflect. You know, we've got the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Just allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you on some of these things. Now, I was sitting at my table yesterday on my phone. I paid paid a lot of attention with this, haven't I? And my daughter came and sat next to me and she started colouring in. She said, Daddy, what can I draw? I was like, oh, you can just draw a car. So, like, Daddy, I don't want to draw a car. What can I draw? And I realized I'm on my phone while I'm having this conversation with my daughter. I put my phone down. I was like, well, let's talk about it. What do you want to draw? And I get actively engaged with her. You know? But it, it was that. It was, I had to make a conscious decision. This distraction is... It, I was just looking at football news. 
Okay, just needs to go to the side. You have my attention. You know, self-reflect. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Be accountable. Are these distractions leading to passivity when it comes to sin, job commitment, family commitment? Ask someone. Ask someone A who knows the answer to these questions, and B who will be honest with you, and then go from there. Preempt the distractions. Where can these distractions? You know, where can they? Where are the, where are you more vulnerable on these? You know, and just just be aware of that. And just see discipline and self-control as good things. They are good things in this context. Okay, can I have two more minutes? Can I just do this? Okay, final one, which I'll go through quite quickly. The farmer's mindset. It's the the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. The final metaphor which Paul uses to Timothy is that of a farmer. And the mindset which he is advoc- and, and the mindset here that he's advocating, advocating is that Christians work hard. You know, Christians work hard. That's what he's saying to Timothy. He's saying, look, you're gonna have to work hard like a farmer. Okay? Expect to work hard. All right? That's what we do. That's what you do in the ministry. That's, that's what you do leading churches. Uh, that's what you do as a Christian. You work hard. Christians work hard. That's what he's saying. Now I know a little bit about farming, believe it or not. When I was younger, I used to work. I worked on a farm for about four years. It is really hard work. I didn't enjoy my work on the farm. I remember once we had to plough a field, and I had to, we had to put these kind of plants, I don't know, like crops, in the... <laughs> we didn't talk much. Um, we had to put these crops in. I remember we had to sit on the back of this tractor. It had like a trailer at the back, haunched over, a pile of these crops next year, and for four hours, I was just literally putting these into the ground. Like, I know I'm sitting, I got, at the end of the day, I'm like this, you know, I can't, the, the farmer that was doing it with me, he, he had no problem, they work hard, farmers, you know. Why is working, why is Paul advocating working hard here? Because work, working hard glorifies God. Being active in our pursuit of and in the context of employment, family, our life, it glorifies God. Why is this? Well, just quickly, it mirrors this quality in God himself. God created the universe and all that was in it. He worked hard. Our God is still working hard. He's bringing his providence into the world, bringing his sovereignty into the world. He's revealing Christ to the world. The Bible tells us that Christ is interceding for us. Our God is always working. Um, it aligns with our calling over us as Christians, you know, the Great Commission, that we go out into all the nations. There is a responsibility for work, to be salt, to be light, hard work. There are plans and purposes that he has assigned for us. There are roles and responsibilities that he's got for each and every single one of us, things that are specifically for us that he'd want us to walk, in, walk into. And work, is so much, work so much glorifies God that we've got more of it to do in heaven. Now, work is going to be in heaven. It is a good thing. It glorifies God. It's, what, it's one of the things we were made to do, created for. And you know what? I look around this church, genuinely here, and see an abundance of this in the quality of people, in the, in the people in this church. You know, in every area of employment, education, health, retail, service industry, retirement, no matter what that is, I see people in this church working hard and it glorifies God. And the first thing I want to say is that you are glorifying God when you're working hard. You know, reflect on that. When you're working hard, when you're having a tough day at work, but you're still persevering, you're still going on, glorifies God. You know, be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. 
However, there are some subtle messages which can come through our culture which can undermine this. I mean, some of us here might not be working hard. Now, my encouragement to you is, get, you know, understand that it does glorify God. Reflect on that and just think, okay, where, how, how, how can I work harder? I don't make any apologies in saying that. If, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I don't know if I do work hard, you know, allow God just to challenge you on that. There is grace and there is love and then there is, let's do something about it. That might be you. But there are some other subtle messages that come through. Often I hear some people say, and I think I've said it myself, things will just work out. Things will happen. I'll let fate decide. I hear that one a lot. Not so much in church. I'll let fate decide. And one of the underlying messages contained in this is, it's like, whatever I want to see happen, it'll just work out. I don't need to do anything about it. I don't need to do that, that, and that, and that, because it'll just work out. So I'll just sit here and wait. I'll wait. I'll just, I'll just wait. Lead, which in, that in itself is, the, is passivity. Now, sometimes it's true. Sometimes God works things out for us, and we don't have to do anything. Why? Because he is sovereign, because he loves us, because he wants to see his son glorified, because he wants to build his church through us. Just this week I heard of how God brought a, a job to uh, a friend of mine. A wonderful provision. You know? The job came to him. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. That's the God we have, because he loves us, because he wants his, because he wants his son glorified. Now sometimes my children... I give them money to bless them. You know, go get some sweets or fruit. <laughs> sometimes I say to them, sometimes I say to me, Dad, can I have some money? I'm like, go and pick some stones up in the garden. You know, because I need the stones picking up for when I do the garden. Well, I say when I do the garden, I've got a few other people lined up to help me. Um, but sometimes, but we're the same as parents. I know I am. Sometimes I give freely. Sometimes actually... I acknowledge that the hard work and discipline of going out and doing something is good for my children. It's the same for us. It's the same that we are active in our pursuits of these things. That we don't just sit back and think, oh, well, it'll be, it'll be all right. It'll work out. It might work out if you do something about it, whatever that something is. I don't mean that in any condemning way. God often wants us to be like the farmer, to work hard in all that we do. Work hard with our families, with our mums, our dads, our sons, our daughters, our grandparents. This brings great glory to God. Work hard in our paid employment. Work in our retirement. You know, that's a bit of a, it sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, but I, I've said before in this church, I think the older generation are a, a, a great example to us younger people, younger, in how you adopt your philosophy in, in church. I think it really serves us well. It serves me well. The great thing about work here, um, and the final thing, the great thing about hard work here, is that those that have this mindset receive the first share of the crops. They get the fruit of the work of their labor. The reality is that the sovereignty of God and our responsibility work hand, work hand in hand. In other words, God has a destiny for all of us, but we realize that destiny in God by thinking and acting like a farmer. And when we do that, We'll receive the first share of the crops. We have God's best for us. Let's stand. Father, we just...
we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you so much that it encourages us and challenges us, inspires us, reveals Christ to us. And Lord, we, each and every one of us here, we just, just set our hearts afresh on you, our hearts and minds afresh on you again, and say, Lord, just, Lord, if anything here would speak to us, Lord, we just say, just allow it to speak to us now. Lord, we say, ah, we want our lives to reflect these three mindsets. Because, Lord, we want the best for us. Lord, we want to honor you and glorify you. We want to achieve, like the athletes, Lord, the full potential of all that we have as your creation, the plans and purposes that you have for us. So, Father, we just say, with grace and humility, Lord, help us. Help us adopt these mindsets. Help us honor you in these mindsets, Father, we pray. Uh, we say we love you in all things, Lord. Uh, uh, we really do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.